Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello and welcome to episode 826 with Jacqueline Brassy. Jacqueline has some excellent wisdom on how to bring about more calm if you are feeling stressed and uncertain and overwhelmed. She's got the goods. You'll learn one, how to enjoy more calm using dual awareness. Two, how to turn your voice into a calming tool. And three, how to access flow more frequently. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, please pay us a visit over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP826 and check out some of the other goodies while you're over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's a bit about Jackie. Jacqueline Brassy is a co-leader at the McKinsey Health Institute and a senior expert in the area of people and organizational performance. Jackie has more than 20 years of experience in business and academia and spent most of her career before joining McKinsey & Company at Unilever, both in the Netherlands and in the United Kingdom. Jackie holds degrees in both organization and business sciences, as well as in medical sciences. She's worked and lived in five different countries, loves running, hiking, and a good glass of wine, and currently lives with her South African slash Dutch family in Luxembourg. Big thanks to Jacqueline for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Jackie. Jackie, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Hi, Pete. Thank you for having me. Well, I am excited to be chatting about your latest book here, Deliberate Calm, How to Learn and Lead in a Volatile World. Can you kick us off with a particularly surprising, fascinating, counterintuitive discovery you've made while putting this together? Well, the discovery I've made may be a bit more boring than you just introduced, but what I really love about this topic is that, uh, and it has become a lifestyle for me, is that it can be learned. It is uh, something you can master if you put enough time and energy in it. And that is absolutely amazing. And in addition, it's actually applicable to all aspects of life. So this book is written for leaders in a business context, but it is applicable to anyone in any job, but also in personal situations, private situations, and whatever role you play in life. Mm -hmm. And when you say it can be learned, what is it? Well, it is deliberate calm. That's a set of skills. And the secret is in the title. Deliberate means that you are at choice to choose in a specific moment how to respond. That choice is often better if you remain calm. Mm-hmm. So I can learn a set of skills to become deliberately calm anytime and every time I desire. Exactly. Even, even though you may not feel it. Okay. Like super 
superpowers. <laughs> yeah, superpowers. Even you may not feel it, but it's about the response. So at the heart of this uh, lies also the power to become comfortable with discomfort, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so maybe could you kick us off then by sharing a particularly inspiring story of someone who is able to, to learn this and, and summon it to great effect? Sure. One example that we use when we kick off uh, chapter one in our book is the very famous story of Captain Sullenberger, who lands the plane on the Hudson River after the plane was struck by a flock of birds. He decided in the in this millisecond that he was going to ignore the traffic tower and uh, he made a different decision. He did not go to his default response. I mean, he has landed the plane, any plane, so many times. But now he had to decide to actually choose something different than uh, what was told to him in the moment. And everybody may uh, know that story. You can uh, read about it. But there was a high stakes, unfamiliar moment. And people may think, well, that doesn't resonate with me because that's very exceptional. But I have a couple of stories how this actually also can be translated to day to day life, because it doesn't always need to be a similar extreme crisis situation as that example of uh, Captain Sullenberger. But we we have in our day-to-day life smaller or larger versions of this. And so let me tell you another story uh, of someone I met recently, actually. His name is uh, Flavio Gianotta. And I met him a couple of weeks ago in a radio interview. Uh, he's an uh, Olympian fencer. It's very interesting because he he has been told that he is very talented and he knows he's talented. He's a good fencer. He has all the skills he needs to actually play at this high level of skills and high level sports. But what holds him back nine out of 10 is his brain, his mind. And we chatted after the radio interview and uh, he had a game uh, that weekend and and a lot was at stake for him. His family was there. It was very visible and uh, it was important that uh, he had a good uh, game. And he texted me afterwards with a nice picture. He was the number one on stage. Very happy. So clearly he won. And he said, literally, today I made it. I made the difference with my head. And I called him. I said, gosh, what did you do? And he said, well, I remembered a lot of the story uh, that, uh, that you told me and the conversation that we had. And he said, uh, in the moment that I was fencing, I actually was noticing. I became aware that I was not winning. And he then decided to actually consciously enjoy the game and focus on what he does best, which is fencing. And he was able to disconnect from his worries. He could let them be there, but he could focus on the game. And he said that changed everything. And and long story short, he won, which is an example of high stakes familiar zone, which is very different from Captain Sullenberger's example, because Flavio was also trained to do this game. The game was not in familiar territory, but was highly stressful. In those moments, the best thing you can do is manage your stress and focus on the skills that you have and focus on performing. But if you go into a different situation, which is unfamiliar, that's where deliberate calm comes in. Then you need to learn and adapt on the fly. The key, uh, Pete, is though that in those situations, it's hard for us to do. We default to what we know. And that's what we call the adaptability paradox in our book. Okay. And how do we define the adaptability paradox? The adaptability paradox is basically when you most need to learn, change and adapt, it's the hardest to do. I say it in a free translation. And the reason is in high stakes, unfamiliar territory, we feel the stress of the high stakes, but we also don't have the skills to respond in the right way. So we need to actually adjust our behavior and we need to adjust what we know. 
And in those situations, uh, our brains are wired to actually uh, experience stress because we like predictability. We also like certainty. And so we will experience, experience extreme stress. And learning and changing on the go is then very hard to do. But that is what you learn in deliberate calm. Mm-hmm. First, you need to learn actually to become aware. What am I? What situation am I in? What's going on for me? But then also you use a lot of the tools to uh, respond in the right way in the situation that you're in. Okay. Well, so then I guess that's the paradox part is what we need to do is change and that is stressful and thus it's harder to change. Though that's what is needed. Okay. Yeah. Hence, hence a paradox. Okay. So then lay it on us, Jackie. What are the the skills or the tools, the approach, the top do's and don'ts so that we can get this going for ourselves? At the heart of this book is uh, what we call, and it sounds a, a bit fluffy, but it isn't at all. Uh, we call that dual awareness. And dual awareness means you need to become aware of the circumstances that you're in and also aware of what it means for you and what's going on for you. So in the book, we... We teach people uh, a set of tools and we have a protocol also in the back of the book that helps you start recognizing moments that you get triggered and that you feel stress, for example, or that you feel pressure. And those moments matter to you. And why do they matter? And what does it mean? So by going through the protocol, you become more aware of moments of stress. Also, when it happens, so you start recognizing what's going on in your brain and body, but you also start realizing what the situation calls for. And sometimes we feel stressed in situations that absolutely may not be stressful at all, but it is something that we do because we interpret the situation as such. Sometimes we become aware that indeed this is a situation that requires a pause. And a big example is uh, the pandemic that we've been through the last couple of years. High stake. We didn't know what was happening. So eventually it turned into high stakes in familiar territory where everybody was defaulting to what we did be, uh, what we, what we knew best, trying to wait for when it was over and trying to get back to normal as soon as possible. But we had to learn that that was not possible anymore. And we had to change a lot of what we usually, uh, what we normally did and the way we worked and the way we uh, dealt with situations and so on. Mm-hmm. Well, could you walk us through an example of an individual who is practicing some awareness and gaining that dual awareness and then responding in a way that they bring about the calm? I will give an example of a story that I experienced myself a couple of years ago when I, that was about two years ago, just after uh, George Floyd uh, was killed, which was also very much discussed in the organization where I worked and I was heading up uh, learning and development for a topic, including diversity and inclusion. And one of the things that I was asked to do immediately thereafter was to train our 32,000 people in anti-racism. And I had to do that. I was asked to do that in a very short amount of time with a team that I had not yet put together. And so there we are, hugely purposeful, but high stakes because a lot of visibility, sensitive topic and something we've never done before. It's already difficult to do that in one country, let alone do it around the globe for 32,000 people. And my default response to things like that, to asks like that, uh, projects like that, is I want to control everything. So I want to have a perfect project plan. I want uh, every step detailed out and very clear, very sequential. But uh, that was not possible because it was, it's quite a 
challenging topic and everybody had also an opinion about it. And, uh, you know, we were basically building a plane whilst flying uh, already, right? So how I didn't write about deliberate calm in those days yet, but I've been a resilience researcher and stress researcher and authentic confidence uh, researcher for many years. So I applied a couple of tools that we also integrate within deliberate calm was really to become aware, first of all, of that situation. This was a new situation which would not be served with my standard approach. And so taking a break, taking a step back and relooking at uh, what was needed in the moment was one thing that I did because I was panicking a bit. And I thought, well, if I don't change and if I don't learn and adapt, then nothing is going to happen in the right way. And another step was that I also, and I've done that for many years, I took good care of myself because this project takes a lot of energy away and for a long time it will ask a lot from me, right? And if I work harder and harder, if I don't sleep and if I don't take care of myself, then it won't be sustainable. So I put an operating model in place to support this work that we had to do. And then within the team, I focused on creating safety and security and also speaking about discomfort. We all actually felt distress and bringing that in the room, putting a a great team together, but also agreeing that we're all in this together and uh, it's better to get all the problems on the table than to hide them was hugely successful because it was a bit messy. But by doing that, we actually all could uh, shoulder that, uh, that stress. But also what it helped was that we didn't all go into default and we call that protection mode in the book when you are in high stress. But we went into a state of learning. And that gave us the creativity, the stamina, and the the solution space that we needed to go into. So there are a lot of elements that come together, uh, Pete, in uh, practicing deliberate calm. It's not just one golden nugget. It's it's actually a lifestyle. Sometimes I say it comes in three different layers. Uh, The one layer is the foundation, having a good base to work from, taking good care for yourself, making sure it's almost like, uh, you know, you sometimes have to... uh, be a top athlete in work uh, in the work that we do. Take good care of yourself because then you are more resilient to any uh, curveballs and stress. And then set yourself up for success during the day and have a couple of tools that we also teach in the book that deal you with moments in the day that it's really when you really need them. Those SOS moments when you get a curveball and when you have to respond in a calm way, which includes one tool is breathing, for example. How do you breathe and how do you breathe in such a way that you can immediately calm yourself? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, let's talk about a couple of those tracks then, both the the taking good care of yourself like your top athlete and then the specific SOS moments. So I guess sleep, nutrition, hydration. Yeah. What are some of the the top things that make a world of difference in, in taking care of ourselves that are are any of them, shall I say, non-obvious? <laughs> because I think we've heard it <laughs> yeah. before. Like, oh yeah, you should sleep. Yeah. Like, okay, yes, we know that. Yeah. And but maybe if you have any nuances, like, did you know that complete darkness actually makes all the difference for sleep as opposed to ninety-eight <laughs> percent darkness? Or give us the the secret insider info, Jackie, in terms of self-care and SOS tactics that make all the difference. Well, self-care, as you said, most people know it, but they don't do it. So I would say, indeed, all of them that you mentioned, and I would also refer to Andrew Huberman's podcast, who knows all the tools, who brings a lot of these amazing tools. I love his stuff. Oh, me too. I'm a big fan of his work. He also talks about daylight in the morning, and he talks about the physiological sigh. And and then there's another friend of mine, uh, Els van der Helm, who does a lot in, uh, in sleep. Indeed, all of them matter. How we bring that together in our book is actually... 
you have to be intentional. So we bring that together in a tool that we call your personal operating model. And your personal operating model has a couple of elements, including energy management. And that changes also with circumstances when they change. So what is relevant for me today may be different. So just take a simple situation, family without kids, family with kids, different operating models and different uh, way of managing this intention and uh, this energy. So we provide tools for that. But what many people forget is they know it's important to sleep, but it's really critical to act like Captain Sullenberger in stressful moments, to act like Flavio in moments of peak sport, right? Sleep is important for your overall health. But if you do not sleep well, you become much more susceptible to stress and also to anxiety. And we have an uh, epidemic of stress and anxiety, as also other research uh, that I've been doing through the McKinsey Health Institute has showed. So that's one. No big secrets there. I would say just apply it. But there are also moments uh, in the moments, applying this uh, in moments of stress, there are tons. One favorite uh, of me, apart from the obvious ones that you just mentioned, is also the use of voice. Okay. So how you actually leverage your voice in the moment and how you become aware that if you are stressed, you start breathing more from your chest rather than your belly. And if you become aware, so the key in this book is also about becoming aware what is happening for me in the moment? And then you can catch the arrow is another uh, way of talking, uh, talking about it, basically, because then you can change and then you can respond in the right way. And most people actually respond way too late. The voice is all about uh, calming it down a couple of notches, making a, a warmer voice, which is uh, the voice is related to uh, the larynx and our vagus nerve, which is also related to our parasympathetic nervous system. And that uh, calms us down when we actually also calm our voice down and others too. Okay, so can you give us some example demonstrations here in terms of, okay, I'm feeling stressed, something happened, I'm freaking out, so I'm stressed. How do I use voice to calm down? I just had one actually, Pete. In the middle of this podcast, I think my husband tried to call me and I actually stressed out. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, I had, uh, I had many. Uh, I'm talking a lot uh, on stage and I'm talking uh, a lot in workshops as well. And always in moments that I need to focus and concentrate, something happens. But I, it's little moments that everybody also will recognize uh, is that uh, the doorbell may go or everything comes together and it's very difficult to stay calm. I once had a workshop where I absolutely had to perform. And I started to feel very, very unwell in the moment. And I wanted to stay calm because I wanted it to be successful. I can, of course, say that I'm sick and I walk out of it, but I really was uh, not well. But too much was depending on it for me. So I made the choice that I actually was going to try to apply my own tools in that very moment. And I did not tell the group. But a couple of things that I did is basically noticing what I feel in my body and allowing that, uh, taking a deep breath before I started the workshop, allowing it to be there and being with that pain that I felt will still delivering the content in front of a group, which eventually became a bit hard. And then I decided to actually also bring it into the workshop. And I decided to talk about it and to share it with people and to say, listen, this is what's going on for me. We'll try to keep going as much as we can. But if it doesn't work out, we have to take a break for a moment. But what happens? And so there are different tools, right? This is one tool which is really about becoming comfortable with discomfort. And it was clearly not comfortable for me. And the reaction that you immediately feel is stress and you want to get away from it. 
what we then do, what I teach also in a lot of the work that I do is stay with it and try to actually with kindness and compassion, observe it and see if you can stay with it. And that builds resilience, which is a a story that that may sound uh, weird, but the interesting thing that happened for me in that moment that eventually it went away and I was able to deliver whilst starting with discomfort. So that's just one version. Another version of this is getting close to a panic attack where I had to speak in public. And what happens for me is when I feel very stressed, I start shaking. And so there was a public, there was a presentation where I was and uh, at the end we were all able to ask questions and I had a, a good question, I thought. And so I said, I'll put my hand up and the man with the microphone was coming uh, to me and I started to uh, to feel nervous, but I was ready to ask the question. But halfway through, somebody else actually put their hand up and they also had a question and he said, you know what, I'll come to me. He said, I'll come to you next, but I'll first answer, I'll first take this question. In that moment, I started to become very nervous and, uh, and my heart started to beat faster. The trick in those moments is basically to be with it and to learn how to breathe well and not to push it away. Because the moment you do not want to feel that discomfort, it becomes worse. And that has everything to do with uh, how uh, biology works, how our brain works. And if you start, if you dare to start accepting and embracing it, you will calm down. And that is exactly what happened. So I could still be there. So these are SOS tools, which we explain. I was still able to be there and perform. Yet on the inside, I wasn't 100% calm. So this is also what deliberate calm is about. It's not always about feeling calm, but it is about uh, being comfortable with this discomfort and then still being able to perform in a calm way, mm-hmm. which is basically what you do is that you, we call that in the book, you pivot from a state of protection, which is the increased uh, sympathetic nervous system arousal to learning, which is still increased arousal, but with an open brain. And with an open space where you can be curious and still effective and adaptive and change your behavior in the moment. Okay. And so with this observation of kindness and compassion, can you tell us what that sounds like in terms of an internal dialogue? Let's say I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to do this thing. You know, I've got some procrastination urges. And then there's a number of approaches that come on, we're just going to, we just got to power through. We just got to make it happen. You know, buckle down. It's like, I'll just get started. Do do a little bit like, like coaxing oneself. But what is the internal dialogue of, of observation, kindness, compassion, embracing sound like in such a moment? I think the most important one in those moments is really about getting in touch with why this matters to you. Why is it important that you actually go through this challenge? Because if there's no reason for it, why would you go through that discomfort? So the reason why I do difficult things is because there's a purpose for me. The reason why I talk about uh, the topics that I find meaningful also about I have a lot of work done in confidence and the confidence crisis and the anxiety that I've gone through in my life. And I do that because there's it's meaningful for me to share and to help other people understand that they're not alone. So doing difficult things for a reason helps a lot. So the dialogue in my brain is really all about why does this matter to me? And I focus on uh, what I will achieve by doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say it, it doesn't matter to you, but it's, I don't know, mandatory, compulsory, it's for someone else. 
<laughs> you're kind of on the hook. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, well, when you're on the hook, you can always find a meaning, right? You're on the hook for a reason. And can you give me an example of uh, what you're thinking of? I was thinking, let's think, say taxes. It's like, ah. <laughs> yeah, not, it's not fun. It's not meaningful. You just kind of got to do them. I don't think you get into high stakes, unfamiliar territory with taxes. I think uh, it's high stakes, definitely, maybe. But the thing is, with taxes, uh, you, you have the time to do that, right? And you can find the help to do that. It's not fun, but if you don't do it, then you will. Uh, so it is meaningful to do it because you will suffer if you don't. <laughs> so I guess. <laughs> okay, so meaningful in the in the negative uh, yeah. pathway then. Okay. Yeah, well, you could also think of it, you know, with taxes, I contribute to this country and I can make a difference. But that's maybe for a whole different podcast. <laughs> it oh, oh, totally depends. Yeah. I hear you. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I think we, we drifted a little bit away from using voice. Can you give us a demonstration for how we use voice to get those soothing benefits? Absolutely. What happens when you feel stressed? You can start noticing that with, uh, with yourself. If you try to actually control a situation, and maybe if you have kids, you may, this may resonate. I have uh, amazing kids, but you know, sometimes you feel like you're out of control uh, when it's a mess in the house and they're not doing exactly what they need to do and you feel already tired and you may feel you try to control the situation, but your voice comes out in a different way, right? It, it becomes this uh, squeaking type of voice, which is a sign of you feel powerless, but also you feel stressed and you, uh, you have a higher pitch. Often that is happening or you start crackling, you get a crackling voice. The only way to change things, and that's why this is part of deliberate calm, is, of course, being aware that this happens, because then you can intervene. That's why we, in this book, also work so much on awareness and awareness in the moment, picking up the signs that you go into a state of distress or in a state of protection, we call that. That can be by picking up voices in your head, but also physical cues or behavioral cues. And one is your voice when it crackles or when you, where you breathe from. And also when you notice that you, you do not have, you feel out of control, basically. So when you notice that, take a deep breath. And I would absolutely recommend people to do breath work, which I do a lot. It helps me a ton. And there are different uh, versions, different ways of doing that. But breathing, the most basic version is, of course, breathing from your uh, diaphragm, from uh, your belly, and try to calm your voice down and go slightly lower than where you are at that moment. Don't go too deep, but you will learn actually by practicing what is a comfortable tone because you start noticing that if you do it, it calms yourself down. Now, when that happens, it will have an effect on other people. It will have an effect on your children as well because there will be a different response. When you shout and you feel out of control or whether you stay calm and you have a different mindset about the situation and that's better for you and that's better for another. So it's a very simple tool. So learning how to control that is super strong and powerful. All right, Jackie, I'm thinking about Bob Ross right now, John, happy little trees. There you go. <laughs> is that kind of what it might sound like or, or, or could you give us a demo for what that tone of voice is like? Okay. <laughs> I'm calming down. Totally. Well, I, I have used my soft voice the whole podcast already, so I'm not going any lower. I think uh, the version that you just gave us was maybe a little bit too smooth, but... Uh... <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you know, actually, I'm kind of having fun with it, Jackie. I might just keep it going. <laughs> Can you tell us about... Uh, we, we talked about athletes a couple of times. 
can you also have some work on flow. How do tell us, can we enter flow? Well, uh, there is a lot of research, of course, on uh, on flow and uh, going there on demand is not always easy because uh, that feels almost like you have to, uh, when you want something, you, you that's not when you can when you get it. But the the circumstances uh, for for flow are also often determined by is it managed? Do you feel you have space to focus? Are you working on something that you really care about that is meaningful? For you, so for example, in my case, I can go totally in flow when I focus on uh, my research topic and I have the space to research and to to deep dive in the area and to to write. When I get out of that, is I get out of that if I'm distracted and if I am well not feeling well and not hey, when I'm very tired, but also when I don't have the space to go into flow. So there, there's also circumstances, of course, that you uh, need to create to get into flow. And uh, and sometimes you can make it happen. Sometimes it also happens because of the situation you're in. You can be in a flow with a team, for example, when it all comes together. The key is, though, in all of that is the sense of safety and enjoyment, right? There's a lot of research on flow. And that is not per se being in a hugely stressful situation, but it is a it is an increased activity of performance where you feel a sense that what you do is really meaningful and you really enjoy and you feel safe. You feel also the space where you're not you're also not distracted. So I guess that is different uh, for for everybody, but you can create that. uh, I'm convinced by creating the right circumstances. Mm -hmm. Do you remember uh, moments that you have been in flow? I do. I'm thinking about a time I was doing an analysis on top performing episodes and was so immersed that I totally forgot I had to go pick up my son from preschool. Goodness. <laughs> I was like, whoa, check out these indicators. And, and so I was like, how might I do a weighted average in terms of like scoring them in terms of giving all these interesting data signals from Spotify and Apple Podcasts and the emails? And so and I was just really just kind of playing with that and iterating and getting some ideas and moving forward. It was like, oh my gosh, I it really should have left over half an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> I was, and so, so that's what leaps to mind just because, well, it was painful because then I had to, you know, do all sorts of apologizing and felt very silly. <laughs> was he safe? Oh, he was totally safe. I mean, he was just chilling. <laughs> he was just chilling with the assistant principal. And they're like, hey, it's just like, oh, Pete, you owe us some money. It's like, yes, I do. I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened there? Why did you go in flow? Because you love the topic. You were yeah. fascinated by mm-hmm. what you saw. Mm-hmm. It was fascinating. And, and there were elements of, of surprise. Like, mm-hmm. huh, I wouldn't have expected that. And then it was, they're like little bite-sized mini questions and challenges that I was tackling. Oh, hey, well, what about this? Oh, well, I could just do that. Oh, that works. Oh, that doesn't work. Hmm. Well, maybe I could do a little bit differently. And so I cared about it. And it was in, I guess, I think about Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. It was in that right zone of, it's not crazily overwhelming. Like, I have no idea how I would even begin to do this. And it wasn't just a a snooze, boring chore I could do in my sleep. Mm-hmm. It was pushing me, but not overwhelming in the amount of push. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, it's a uh, low stakes, but unfamiliar new territory where you use a lot of curiosity. It's a wonderful uh, experience. Mm-hmm. It resonates with me. I often go there. But yeah, the danger is you forget about the rest of the world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Certainly. 
So then what are the perhaps top do's and don'ts if you are trying to set the stage to maximize the odds of entering flow? So you care about the thing, uh, you have the opportunity to to focus, and maybe you said it varies by a person. How about for you personally, what might you do? I actually enter uh, often uh, in flow when I have, when I'm on holidays or even in my free time, because I love browsing. I love learning and I love browsing on the internet and I love jumping from one to the next. And so at the core for me is really uh, deep diving in a topic that matters a lot and uh, and learning new things and getting up to speed on the latest uh, insights. And uh, I can totally spend hours and hours just going from one to the next. It's almost like hopping from one island to the other island. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's in a space when I have not a lot of stressful things to do. And there is not a lot of autopilot stuff that you need to do. But there is really space for creating new things. And in a way that is in between. Um, if you talk about the deliberate calm, we really also focus on the, the crisis uh, of uh, uncertainty. That's not what this is about. And it's also not uh, completely in your comfort zone. It is indeed, as you said, a little bit of that uh, excitement and that focus. So it, it is the effort, but you need to have the space for it to, uh, to happen. And, and for me, that often happens on holidays and in my free time. It doesn't happen on a normal day where uh, there's always a lot of stuff coming into the inbox and phones that ring and things that need to happen that uh, take me out of flow. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Jackie, any final top tips on some of this stuff before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Well, a top tip uh, for me, uh, I would say this is not really a quick fix. This is a, a set of skills. And I said, this is a lifestyle and something that you can learn and absolutely worth it. It's also a set of skills that do not go out of date because you take them with, with you for the rest of uh, your life. But I would give it a try. So this was just the last reflection. Think about why, why actually, uh, what is more important? Why would you do it? What, why does it matter to you? And for why, why it mattered to me, Pete, is, is really about, it really has brought me so much opportunity, but also reaching my full potential and enjoying life much more than before. All right. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you found inspiring? Oh, yes. My favorite quote is actually from a maths teacher from my high school, who uh, I remember very well. He said, you can do much more than you think. And that was in a discussion that we had. I think I was 14 years old in the class where people were talking about, are you uh, born with talent for math or can you learn it? And uh, he, he said, you can do much more than you think if you put the effort in. Mm-hmm. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Well, I mentioned it already. My favorite, one of uh, a couple of favorite uh, people that, uh, that I study, uh, Andrew Huberman uh, from Stanford. He's, his podcasts are amazing and also the work that he does. But I also like the work from uh, Stanford's Alia Crum, Adam Grant, Francesca's Gino. Absolutely my favorites. And what excites me a lot is bringing insights from neuroscience and business together and leadership development. So cross-disciplinary research. Okay. And a favorite book? One of my all-time favorites is uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? My favorite tools is breath. A couple of my favorite tools are breath work. I walk every day. That is, and I run. So movement, cardio uh, movement, uh, which brings me in a state of uh, creativity and is also good physically. And uh, voice techniques, I just mentioned one, and also embodiments, experience with, with really being and feeling uh, situations. So instead of being in my brain, I just 
try to feel um, the stress or the positive stress in my body. Okay. And a favorite habit? I use, and I, I'm not sure if I noticed it, that you do that as well, but favorite habits are a favorite feedback tools that I use are a biofeedback. One of the tools, and I cannot recommend one over the other, but one of the tools that I have is a, an aura ring. Oh, yes. You saw And I think mine. I saw one. Uh, yes. I think I saw yours. <laughs> <laughs> and I try more tools, actually, than, uh, than only this, but I really love it. I think there's a huge potential in that. And it helps also to be more aware and to take care of yourself. But I love the uh, improving science around it and also the power and potential uh, of these tools. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I'm actually very active on LinkedIn. I post a lot, interact a lot there on uh, social, also on other uh, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And if people want to find more about uh, Deliberate Calm and our work at McKinsey and the McKinsey Health Institute, they, uh, they can find it very easily by just Googling Jackie Brassi and McKinsey. Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I would love to ask people to really think through why it matters what they do. Mm-hmm. Think about the purpose and think what, what really is important for them. Life's too short to focus your time on stuff that doesn't matter. Okay. Well, Jackie, this has been a treat. I wish you much fun and deliberate calm. Thank you so much, Pete. It was lovely being here with you. A lot of fun. Two things Jackie shared I found super useful and have used multiple times already is one, connecting to the purpose. And noting that doesn't have to be some lofty statement of ideals or deeply held values. But as Jackie said with the taxes example, if you don't do it, you will suffer. And that's good enough. It's just I think about the purpose bit by considering, well, what if I just didn't do it? Why don't I just not do it? Oh, well, because then that would be problematic. Well, why does that really matter? Well, because I care about supporting family, et cetera. It's like, okay, well then let's do the taxes. We reconnect to the purpose of supporting family. And in that moment, there is an extra dose of motivation to push through the aversive task. And also tone of voice. I've been talking to myself more, not like a crazy person. I'm alone in the office and it is just working nicely in terms of being soothing or motivational. There really is quite a power in using the voice to move your emotional state. So Great stuff from Jackie. Again, the show notes, the transcript, and the links to items we've referenced are over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP826. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.